You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Before we get into it, uh, I was thinking the other day about how I used to have hair, and, um, and I was longing for those days. And so I decided to pull out our old wedding photo album, which was close at hand, and I knew that I had hair back then. And so I, I decided to, to look through it to remind myself of, of, the, of the former glory I used to have. And um, I, had, I really had a nice set of hair. And uh, so I was looking through the wedding photos, and actually uh, I realized as I was going through them that I was actually already balding back then. You know, 12, 12 and a half years ago, I was already getting a receding hairline. And uh, so I guess there's no chance for me in that end. But as I was looking through the wedding, fo- wedding album, uh, something else dawned on me um, at how many people were actually at our wedding. And I thought that was pretty cool. People that had set time out of their lives to come and join us on that day, to invest in us on that day. And that's pretty cool. And, you know, and it didn't hit me at the time. I, that whole wedding day was a big blur to me. But, but now, you know, looking back, I feel honored that they would, that they would do that. Um, but speaking of honor, it's, it's also an honor as well to get invited to a wedding, right? Because if you do, it means that the bride and groom, they actually want you to be part of one of the most important days of their lives. And that's pretty cool. That's, that's an honor to get invited to a wedding. And, and that's what this parable we're about to read this morning is all about. God's inviting us to a wedding party. He's inviting us to his eternal and glorious kingdom because he cares about us, because he loves us. He wants us to know him, to sit at his table and commune with him. That, that's an honor to be invited to that, right? And so he sent out the invitation But how will we respond? Will we honor him back by making that wedding day, making his kingdom our priority? And then if we have, are we now extending that invitation to others? So that's the theme of the parable this morning that we're going to be going through. And uh, Jesus tells this parable uh, on probably... Wednesday, a couple of days before he's betrayed and sent to the cross, he's, being, he's teaching in the temple, but he's, his authority is being challenged once again by the Pharisees, and so he speaks this parable to them. So, if you want to turn with me to Matthew 22, 1-14. Jesus responded by speaking again in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding party for his son. He sent his servants to call those invited to the wedding party, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent other servants and said to them, Tell those who have been invited, Look, the meal is all prepared. I've butchered the oxen and the fattened cattle. Now everything's ready. Come to the wedding party. But they paid no attention and went away, some to their fields, others to their businesses. The rest of them grabbed his servants, abused them, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his soldiers to destroy those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his servants, The wedding party is prepared, but those who who were invited weren't worthy. Therefore, go to the roads on the edge of town and invite everyone you find to the wedding party. Then those servants went to the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding party was full of guests. Now when the king came in and saw the guests, he spotted a man who wasn't wearing wedding clothes. He said to him, Friend, 
How did you get in here without wedding clothes? But he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, Tie his hands and feet and throw him out into the farthest darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Many people are invited, but few people are chosen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for these parables. Um, They are challenging, Lord God, but I pray that you would help us to to see the truth in them through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would open our our hearts, that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what, what it means and what it means for us, Lord God, and that you would be glorified and lifted up as we go through it this morning and that you would change us and mold us more into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. O-M goodness. Who here is excited that Prince Harry is getting married to that one actress in that show I don't watch? <laughs> Megan, Megan Markle. That's it. I mean, this isn't just any wedding, right? This is a royal wedding. So, yeah, you guys are jazzed about that, right? Yeah? Yeah? Well, it doesn't really matter if you are or you aren't because you're not invited to this wedding. Right? Of course we're not invited to that wedding. No one here expects to be, right? I mean, it would be crazy if we were invited, but, it, but again, no one expects to get an invitation in the mail to this wedding. And if you are expecting one, I just want to let you know that there's going to be a prayer team at the back of the service that would love to pray with you. And... Uh, your expectations. Anyways, um, my guess is that those who would be first on the list to receive invitations to this wedding would be the immediate and extended family members of the the Windsors and Markles, right? Maybe national dignitaries, uh, maybe royalty from other countries, or British politicians, or rich friends of the family, or Barack Obama, because he's friends with Harry now, I guess, if you didn't you didn't see that or notice that, or maybe some celebrities, uh, but definitely not, you know, any of us, not anyone from little old Lethbridge, Alberta. That's probably not going to happen. And the same goes for the wedding party in, in Jesus' parable at the beginning, right? To be invited to something like this, what's happening in the parable, this the wedding of the king's son, to be at the top of that guest list, This was not only a huge honor, but it also represented how important of a person you were to the king. So most regular citizens and those living outside of the country wouldn't expect to be on that list. But those that were invited first are the ones who you would most expect to be there. And Jesus is, of course, at this part of the parable, referring to God's chosen people, the Jews. God wants them to be part of his wedding. They're important to him. And on that note, just as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the Bible often uses imagery of, of a wedding uh, between Jesus and the church to represent the consummation of the kingdom of God. And so, so, in other words, God wants the Jewish people to be part of that, to be part of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. He sent out the invitation specifically and first of all to them. And since we're on the subject... We should get this out of the way right away. This invitation that we're talking about, this invitation that he sent to them, is is none other than the good news of the gospel, this free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ who takes away the sins of the world and reconciles us to God. Jesus is the invitation. He is the ticket into this wedding. In fact, it's actually his wedding. 
And the Jews were the obvious first choice to receive this invitation. Romans 1.16 highlights this truth. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So that verse is actually a great summary of this whole parable, which we'll get to in a bit. But before we get there, it says to the Jew first. So I want to ask, you know, why do the Jews get to be first to receive this invitation? Why do they get priority here? And it's actually not that complicated. I'll list a couple of reasons why. They're the chosen people of God from the line of Abraham, heirs to the promise of God through Abraham, chosen by God to carry and protect his law and statutes, chosen to be the remnant and image of God in in this sinful world, to build a temple of God so that he can dwell with them, right? They They were given the Old Testament scriptures. They were the ones that were given the prophecies of the Messiah. Also, the Jewish line of King David was to bring forth the Messiah, and therefore Jesus himself was a Jew, which means the promise of the Messiah King and the restored kingdom was, first of all, for them. It's only fair. And that's why the invitation from Jesus, an invitation to his wedding party to be reconciled to God and freed from their sin and from the curse of the law of sin and death once and for all, this, this invitation was given to them first. In fact, if we read to the Gospels, Jesus spent over three years proclaiming it to them and announcing his, that his kingdom was at hand and proving it to them with signs and miracles and teaching and prophecy. Even after his death and resurrection, the apostles and the early church, they continued to bring this invitation to them as well. But just like in the parable, the invitations are initially ignored. Right? Even though everything's ready to go at the party, the decorations are hanging, the food is prepared, the tables have been set, the kingdom is at hand. But no guests have arrived. Right? They, don't, they don't want to come. And barring a, a few exceptions and after some initial excitement and interest, And this new rabbi, the nation of Israel, waves Jesus off. They ignore his call to follow him. They don't show up for the party. But it doesn't end there. God, he he doesn't give up on them, right? He's a pursuing God full of grace and compassion and mercy. And he still hasn't given up on them. And that's represented to us in the parable as the, the king also has grace and, and patience with those who've, who've ignored the invitation, right? Instead of getting angry and offended and rightfully punishing them for not responding to the invitation of a king, instead the king's action display his love and kindness for them. He displays that he really wants the people he's invited to come to this wedding party for his son. So he decides to give them another chance and he sends out messengers to, to verbally remind them of this wedding banquet and, and hope, hopefully persuade them to come. But this is what happens next. Verses 5 and 6. It says, But they paid no attention and went away, some to their fields, others to their businesses. The rest of them grabbed his servants, abused them, and killed them. They either ignored the, message, the messengers, the servants, or they beat them and killed them. 
That's pretty intense, right? And these are actually two common responses to the gospel. Indifference and hostility. For example, some ignored the invitation because they either didn't care or because they were too busy. And what it comes down to is that they had their own stuff going on. Business to attend to, fields to plow. And I think that's usually the case with us. Right? In our, in our, in our Western culture as well, we're always so busy, always busy, always using our busyness as an excuse not to commit to things. Even when it comes to our faith, sometimes especially when it comes to our faith. But as Jesus says, anyone who's called to follow him, yet turns and put his hand back to the plow, is unfit for the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom, this wedding party, should be at the top of our priority list. We should be willing to lay everything down and pursue it and follow Jesus. There's, there's nothing more important than it. There's no excuse that should keep us from it. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus says, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a similar parable about people being invited to a banquet, and they make excuses as to why they can't come, and it's similar to this, this parable, you know, work, marriage, all, the, all this kind of stuff. And all their excuses, again, can be summed up like this. They're just saying, I've got my own thing going on that's more important than your thing. It's like on Facebook. Does anyone still use Facebook? All the, all the older people, right? Um, like me. But when you get an event invite on Facebook, right, and a bunch of people click on interested, oh, interested. But we all know deep down in our hearts what that really means, right? That means not going, right? It means I'd rather sit at home by myself and watch Netflix, but, but I don't want to feel bad and click not going, so, you know, because my excuse sucks, so I'm going to click interested, and then I can just forget about it. And what I'm saying is that while some of the Jews may have clicked interested when they received this invitation to follow Jesus, really, what that means is, now I, now I can forget about it and get back to doing my own stuff. So they can ignore it or, or wave it off or just forget about it. But some of them didn't just ignore the messengers. They actually took them and, and beat them and killed them. Again, that's, that's crazy. But this part of the parable is a direct warning to the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. These Pharisees, and not all of them are like that. Some believed in Jesus and followed Jesus, but these ones, they've proven over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry that they don't want to hear a message about needing to follow Jesus or, or being saved from their sin because it's offensive to their pride. Because they think they're already good to go. They think that because they're descendants of Abraham and because they self-righteously follow the law, that they're owed a seat at the table, that they're owed a place in the kingdom. And besides, this kingdom that Jesus is selling isn't the kingdom they want anyway, right? They want the restoration of the nation of Israel. So they don't like Jesus' message. And what happens is, just like in the parables, they often kill anyone who upsets them and angers them with a message that attacks their beliefs and attacks their self-righteousness. They stone them or they, they turn them over to the authorities to be executed or beaten or imprisoned. And this is historically the case. 
with what they do with God's prophets and, and messengers of the gospel. For example, the Old Testament prophets were routinely ignored and despised and ostracized. John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen was martyred. Peter and John were, were beaten in the Sanhedrin. Paul, who spent the initial part of his career killing Christians himself, was also himself nearly stoned to death and imprisoned multiple times for inviting people to believe in Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, was killed. And of course, Jesus himself was betrayed and hung and killed on the cross. And while people in Canada don't usually run around killing messengers of the gospel today, I hope anyways, though it is still happening in other countries and we do still see the odd church shooting or something like that. But what it comes down to is the condition of our heart. To kill the messenger is really to harden our hearts against them. To refuse to listen. To refuse to accept that we need a Savior. It's to refuse to respond to this invitation of salvation whether it's in anger or, or unbelief or because we think we're good enough on our own and we don't need this Jesus or because it offends us, the idea that, that we aren't good enough and we need Jesus to be good enough for us, right? Again, that goes right to our pride. To have to humble ourselves. Nobody likes doing that. But it's at this point in the parable then when the, the invitees, they, they get hostile it's at this point that the king's grace and patience with them runs out, which, which is understandable. I mean, they killed his servants. The king's angry. So, of course, they're taken off the guest list. Of course, the king's judgment falls on them, and rightfully so. And what Jesus is warning the Pharisees here is this, that if they reject this invitation, if they reject Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, even though they're Jews, they'll still lose out on the promised inheritance of the kingdom and only bring themselves to judgment, only bring themselves to ruin. And not only that, not only will they lose their inheritance, but it's actually going to go to someone else. Jesus says to the, this to them clearly right before he speaks this parable. Matthew twenty-one forty-two to 43 Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? That's a slight at them because the Pharisees, they should know the Scriptures very well. Have you never read in the Scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. The kingdom of God, he's saying, will be taken away from those Jews, the builders. They're supposed to be the builders of the kingdom. But it will be taken away from those who reject Jesus and will be given to those who truly follow him. As the parable says at the end, many receive the invitation, but only a few are chosen. And so as the parable goes and continues, the king's thinking, well, it's going to be a shame, you know, if no one shows up for this wedding, if no one shows up for this wedding of my son. And so what does he do? The king decides to invite anyone and everyone. He extends the offer of the kingdom of God to anyone who will respond, anyone who will come. Verses 8 to 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding party is prepared, but those who were invited weren't worthy. Therefore go to the roads on the edge of town and invite everyone you find to the wedding party. Then those servants went to the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. 
the wedding party was full of guests. So the invitation, again, that was first made available to the Jews, was rejected by a lot of them. And so it has now become an open invitation to everyone else. In other words, through Jesus, the kingdom of God and the promises given to Abraham are also accessible to the Gentiles. That's us. And on that note, I think sometimes we can read this parable and start to think, well, it sounds like, you know, the Gentiles was plan B because plan A failed. But I just want to reiterate that that's not the case, that it, this was always part of God's plan. And uh, Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, he, he discusses this truth at length, and he calls the inclusion of the Gentiles within the kingdom of God the mystery of the gospel, because it was preordained since the beginning of creation, but, but this mystery was only revealed at the coming of Jesus. You see hints of that through the Old Testament, but it's only fully revealed at the coming of Jesus. In other words, the Gentiles were always plan A, always part of the plan A. Actually, Paul and Barnabas basically live out this prophetic parable in Acts 13:45 to 47 when they're, they're, they're witnessing to the crowds. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Or as it says in the parable, you know, all the way to the edge of town. And now all of a sudden in the parable, we see those that, that never thought they'd end up on the guest list for any royal event, right? especially the wedding of, of the king's son. And now they're being invited to come, to come as they are. I'm really glad that we sang that, that song this morning. That wasn't planned. To come as you are. I think of it like this. What if you arrived home today from church, you drove home today, and waiting for you on your doorstep was a well-groomed gentleman in a suit and tie who, with his refined British accent, informed you that he was an ambassador of the Queen and that you were formally invited to be a guest of honor at Prince Harry's wedding. You know, and then as you're still unsure if this is a joke or not, he proceeds to hand you an all-expenses-paid trip itinerary along with an official invitation and a new suit or dress to wear to this wedding. What, what would you do? Right? I think most of us would be kind of flabbergasted, like, well, what's going on? I mean, why me? We'd be a little bit taken off guard, right? Because it's the last thing we'd expect. And then as the truth of it settled in, whether we'd admit it or not, some people are like, I don't care about going to the wedding. Yeah, right, but if you, if you got an invitation, I think, you'd be, I think you'd be pretty honored to be invited to that. You'd be pretty excited for the opportunity to go to this, to join the royal family in celebrating this incredibly regal and historic day, right? And of course, again, if you, if you did go, you'd probably be pretty thankful for the chance. And that's really the difference here between those that come to the party and those that don't. Gratitude. 
those that expect to be there, they're, they're not grateful for it. You know? And eventually they could care less. But when you're given something you'd never expect in a million years, you're going to be incredibly grateful. You're going to be incredibly grateful for it, and you're going to jump at the opportunity to be given a chance of a lifetime, something you're definitely unqualified for or even unworthy of receiving. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Anyone can respond to it, even those who, who don't expect it to be for them. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, if you know that story. Jesus bumps into her at the well on purpose. And this, this Samaritan woman, she's now on her fifth husband, who she admits that she's not even actually married to. Jesus already knew that. But Jesus informs her that he's the living water. That through him, eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, is available to even her. And upon hearing that, she's, she's ecstatic. And she runs home and she tells everybody. Because she's not even fully Jewish. She doesn't expect the promises to be for her. And she's a woman. Which at the time meant she wasn't even supposed to be talking to a Jewish man alone. That was, that was a no-no back then. So she's... In her mind, she's completely unclean. She's completely unworthy. She's ashamed of her lifestyle as an adulterer. She's definitely unworthy in the eyes of Jews. But yet, Jesus comes to her as she is, dirt and sin and all, and invites her in. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of this invitation and this is the underlining point of this parable, a point that Jesus is emphasizing to the Pharisees and to the crowds who are listening and to us today, that even though the Jews have first dibs in hearing the gospel message and receiving this invitation, that's fine, that's fair, but they don't have first dibs when it comes to righteousness and salvation. This is the point that no one does. When it comes to needing forgiveness of sin, we're all in the same sinking boat. Romans 3, 9 to 10 says, so what are we saying? Are we Jews better off? This is Paul talking. Are we Jews better off? Not at all. We have already stated the charge. Both Jews and Greeks are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. Which means that everyone has equal opportunity to respond to the invitation, since everyone equally falls short of the glory of God. There's no such thing as, as more likely or less likely to enter the kingdom. There's no such thing as being more or less qualified to enter the kingdom. In fact, often it's, it's, it's what we don't even expect. But every person, Jew and Gentile, good or evil, we're all in the same boat when it comes to being under sin, and therefore we all have to enter the kingdom in the same way, and we'll all sit at the same table when we get there. This is the point. We all need to be dressed in the wedding clothes, right? We all need to be covered in the righteousness of Christ to get into the wedding party. As Ephesians 3.12 says, In Jesus and through faith in him, we may enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. In fact, that's why Jesus tacks that strange ending onto this parable. 
It's to underline this truth. He goes on to say that the king, in the parable, the king finds this guy and he isn't dressed up for the wedding. He isn't in his wedding clothes, right? He's still wearing his street clothes. And so the king asks, how, how did you get in here dressed like that? And, and this man, he's, he's speechless. And so the king gets him tied up and thrown out of the party. I remember at my wedding, there's a, there's a family that came in and all the kids were dressed in uh, sweats and like stained t-shirts. And uh, not because they were poor or anything, like there was no, no need for that, but because, actually I don't really know why. It's, uh, it was kind of odd and uh, a little bit rude. But we didn't, we didn't react like the king did in this parable. We didn't throw them out. Um, but that's because I'm not a king. And I'm sure that you wouldn't be allowed to go to the royal wedding in your street clothes either. They, they just wouldn't let you in. But anyways, the point of that part of the parable is to clarify the truth that yes, anyone and everyone can respond to this invitation. That yes, we're all called to come as we are. Broken, sick, ashamed, guilty. But in order to get into the kingdom, we can't stay as we are. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that when God asks us, how did you get in here? We won't be speechless. But we can respond with confidence through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately for us, his righteousness comes freely as part of the package when we repent and believe in his name. As the worship song says, he didn't just take our sin. He fills us up with his righteousness. He makes us right with God. Which brings us back to Romans 1.16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everyone who believes is filled with his righteousness, forgiven of our sin, given right standing with God. That's the beauty of the gospel. Whether you are or were Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, black or white, rich or poor, criminal or upstanding citizen, successful or a failure, religious or atheist, gay or straight, child or adult, good or evil, Anyone, anyone who responds to the invitation can be forgiven and made new and adopted as children into the kingdom of God. Again, not just the people we expect, not just the religious types or, or, or the most behaved, anyone. And I want to say on that note, if, if there is anyone here who thinks that they're unworthy to respond to this invitation, thinks they're too guilty or, or too poor or, or confused or ostracized and alone or anyone who thinks they're too ugly or for that matter too good looking or you think you have the wrong skin color or the wrong family name that stuff doesn't matter what matters is that Jesus died for you yes you and is inviting you to receive this free gift of grace and to spend an eternity with him in glory. You just have to respond to the invitation. And guess what? This, this idea 
This message would have shocked and upset the Pharisees even more. It's definitely not what they expected to hear because the picture that Jesus is giving them of who's part of the kingdom of God isn't the one where Jewish religious elites are are sitting at a table all proud of themselves for being the elected ones. In fact, they're not even there. Their chairs have been given away to somebody else. What Jesus is showing them instead is, is a vision of every tribe and tongue and peoples of every nation and varying social statuses and, and different age groups and gender and skin color and education and body shapes. Those who were formerly tax collectors and thieves and Samaritan women and general laborers, laborers and prostitutes and Ethiopian eunuchs and Roman centurions, Americans even. And, th- and they're going to be hanging out with North Koreans. the mentally or physically disabled, all gathered together. All gathered together, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, thankfully rejoicing in the God who freely invited them to come and and join him at his table. That's the picture of the kingdom. Revelation 7, 9 to 10 confirms this picture. It says, this is John, he has this vision of what the kingdom looks like. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All peoples, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, thankfully worshiping and glorifying God and His Son together. This is the wedding party that Jesus pictures. That's the glorious picture of the kingdom of God. But my guess is that that if we actually truly search our hearts, many of the people that Jesus pictures as citizens of the kingdom of God are people that we also may have discounted or written off as well whether it's you know, street people or convicted felons or Syrian ref- refugees, your self-centered mother-in-law. You know, maybe one, even one of those people is you. Maybe you've discounted yourself. And that brings me to three points that I, that I want to conclude with this morning. Really quickly. I'm almost done, I swear. But three points that I just want to highlight. And the first one is this. When it comes to who gets to receive and accept the invitation of Jesus Christ, we can't write off anyone, including ourselves. No matter how good or evil we think we are, the invitation is extended to everyone. So don't count yourself out. God is inviting you to be forgiven and to join him at his table. The second point is this. If the kingdom of of God is going to be filled with peoples of all nations and varying social classes and different backgrounds, then we, as the church, locally and universally, we need to pursue that picture of unity and diversity. Not because it's politically correct or, you know, or anything like that, but because that's the picture of the kingdom. That's the kingdom come. 
which means we need to start getting out of our comfort zones and start reaching out and unifying with other Christians, especially who might look and act different than us. We need to start building relationships with them. We need to start serving them. We need to start inviting them to our houses, not just the people we get along with or the people who are into the same things as us. We need to start celebrating our different cultures. We need to start loving one another, praying for them, supporting them. And we try to do that as a church. We're trying to support missions in India. We're trying to support locally with, with uh, interact with their mission to the aboriginals. But we can't just stop there. We can just throw money at that stuff and then, and then think we're okay. We all need to be involved in this, in this pursuit. And on that note, we, sh- we should and we need to be standing with one another as Christians on the front lines of fighting racism and sexism in our culture. Which I'm not convinced we've been very good at as a church, as a whole, not just ours. Bottom line is that we need to start being less segregated as a church and more unified in the spirit. This is a big part of what it means to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That is a huge part of it. And that brings us to my third and final point, that as Christians, we're called to be the new messengers of the gospel. We're called to make disciples of all nations, to bring Jesus' invitation to the ends of the earth. That's what we're called to do. Which means that we need to remember, first of all, to actually be doing it and to not give up doing it, no matter what the cost, like the servants in the parable. But secondly, again, we need, we need to make sure not to show partiality as we do it. Not to write off anyone as being unworthy or, or of hearing it or, or think that certain people won't want to hear it. God's calling anyone and everyone who will come. And the, and the anyone isn't up to us. We don't know who's going to respond or, or, who, or who won't respond. We don't know that. Which is why we can't show partiality. For example, after the Apostle Peter returns from Jesus' instruction, he had a vision to go and share the gospel with a Roman centurion and his family. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going, I'm not going to, to share the gospel with the Gentiles. They're not Jews. And Jesus is saying, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And so Peter goes, and the whole family's changed, give their lives to Christ. Romans 10.34, then Peter began to speak. And he said, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism. And James 2 verse 1 declares, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, this means rich or poor, homeless or well-off, young or old, western or eastern, cool or nerdy. No partiality. And again, it's not up to us if they respond to it or accept the invitation. That's that's up to the Holy Spirit. That's, That's the Holy Spirit's job. 
But it is up to us to proclaim and plant those seeds, to invite them in, to give them hope. Because remember, we're all saved from the same sinking boat. We were all once far-off sinners in need of the same salvation that they are. A salvation that we're now invited to freely through Jesus Christ. So let's not ignore it as the church. Let's respond to that invitation with thanksgiving. And let's respond to it as well by making the kingdom come our prayer and our priority. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I thank you for this parable that it gives us a a, a bigger picture of what that actually looks like. Lord, that the kingdom is full of of people that that we might not expect. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to open our hearts to everyone and anyone around us, that you would give us boldness to share the invitation of your salvation with them, Lord. That we would not show partiality as we do it, Lord God, but we would pursue unity and in diversity, that we, would, that we would share it with anyone, that we would celebrate everyone in love. Just as you do for us, Lord God. Lord, you honor us in inviting us to come to your table. Though we're unworthy, though we don't belong there, you made it so that we do. So Lord, I thank you I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to to take our place at the cross, to take our sin upon himself, and to exchange that with his righteousness, that that clothed in his righteousness, we could come before you, and we can can come before you with boldness and with, with, with confidence and sit at the table with you and commune with you and know you and live in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would just challenge each of us this morning to surrender anything that's keeping us from making your kingdom a priority, Lord. And that you would fill us with a passion and joy for for seeking the kingdom first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.